Hello, and welcome to this Soulless Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit soullesschurch.com. All right, so the book of Hosea. Hosea. How many of you guys have read or studied the book of Hosea before? A couple of you guys. How many of you guys just found out that there is a book of Hosea? No shame. No shame. Um, this book, Hosea, it is one of the largest of the 12 minor prophets. We're going to see 14 chapters long, 197 verses. And what we want to start doing each and every week as we get to a different minor prophet, uh, next week will be in Joel. Hosea, Joel will be next week. And each week we're going to start off with what we're calling our prophet profile. So here's our overview of what the book of Hosea has to say. Uh, another great resource, by the way, on these kind of big summaries on YouTube is an incredible ministry called The Bible Project, which, um, you know, it's not like of our community, so it's not in, in 100% agreement in all doctrinal areas, but when it comes to the central focuses, it is, and it's a great resource that gives these great overviews explaining the meta narrative of Scripture and the themes of these books. So we'll actually be emailing out some of those links in that uh, newsletter. But when you get to Hosea, here's what you have from 30,000 feet feet above. You have your Bibles open, right, to Hosea 1. Why don't you look at some of these things with me. Uh, In the prophet's profile, the first thing we have is the title of the book and the title of the prophet, a guy named Hosea. There in verse 1, look at Hosea 1.1, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Biri, which I think is Italian for Bruschi, all right? But nonetheless, the word of the Lord came to Hosea, came to Hosea. Now, we don't know too much about this guy. We know that he has a dad. His name is Bieri. Bieri? Guy Bieri, maybe? I don't know. All right. I just realized I was saying there's a guy named Bieri. Okay. All right. So, Hosea, here's what we do know about this individual. Not a lot throughout history. Uh, here's what we know. We know what his name means. That, that can help us sometimes. Usually in, that, in history, uh, in that time, people were named uh, based on certain God-given destinies and character. The name Hosea simply means salvation. Hosea means salvation. What a theme of his book, okay? But his name means salvation. Listen to this. Hosea's name comes from the same Hebrew root, Hosea, as the names Joshua, and what's the other one? Yeshua, Jesus. So Jesus' name is the Lord is salvation. Yehoshua, all right? Hosea is Hosea. It's that same root of salvation. Salvation is of the Lord, is who Jesus would be named, uh, of course, speaking of his destiny as well. Uh, uh, Hosea, here's what we know about him. He prophesied in the northern kingdom of Israel. little quick uh, Old Testament history lesson. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 11 and 12, you're going to see the iconic, the famous splitting of the kingdom of Israel as it's divided up into two nations. Solomon passes away, his son Rehoboam takes over the southern kingdom, well, takes over the whole kingdom, and then there's a split between the people of God. Get this, in history, Christians and followers of God would be divided sometimes. Isn't that crazy? All right, well, that happened in history with Israel, and the nation split up. You have a northern kingdom that King Jeroboam I takes over, and the ten tribes, uh, the, most of, the, of, the, of Israel, ten tribes go with them. And then on the southern kingdom, you have Rehoboam. 
and you have Judah and Benjamin there on the southern kingdoms. You have a divided nation. Now, uh, that's the history, and so that leads us to where uh, Hosea is. He's ministering. His ministry takes place in the northern kingdom. We know this because in chapter, I believe it's 7 or so, verse 8, uh, chapter 7, verse 5, Hosea calls the king of, of northern Israel, his own king. So we, we get this idea that's where he's ministering, all right, to that, nor, uh, that northern kingdom. Um, so if you fast forward 250 years, there's a man named after King Jeroboam I. That's 250 years before Hosea. The kingdom splits. 250 years later, you have another king who's named after Jeroboam I. No relation, but he becomes the, uh, the next king in line of the northern kingdom, and his name is Jeroboam II. And so this is what's going on at the time of Israel. 250 or so years after the divided kingdom, um, and the king of the north is Jeroboam II. It tells us that in the end of verse 1. It tells us the time frame in which Hosea prophesied. It says it was in the days, look at down there, of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Now let's talk a little bit about this hombre, Jeroboam. The second, named after the first, 250 years before him. Jeroboam the second, at this point, has led the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, into the most um, powerful time in their economic history. They are more, the, the military prowess that they possess, the political peace that's going on, uh, by every earthly metric, Jeroboam was killing it. Like, you'd might, you might vote for this guy. Like, he's the kind of guy that's getting the nation more wealthy, and he's getting the nation um, more at peace. It, it's, a, it's a beautiful time externally in the, king, the northern kingdom of Israel. Unfortunately, Man tends to look at the outward appearance, but when God looks at the heart of the nation, there is rampant idolatry. And so what you have in the northern kingdom, as it splits from Israel, and it continues, I mean, all the northern kingdom kings are just not the best dudes. And as you get to Jeroboam II, again, he's leading the nation externally, materially, very well. But they had, at this point, integrated all sorts of foreign idols into their religious system. They had created this sort of syncretistic hodgepodge of classic worship of the God of Israel, plus whatever else kind of gets us what we need. It's kind of like seeing God as one of the many lords, one of the many gods in your life. And it was because of this that God sends the prophet Hosea to communicate a specific message, and let me say this, in a very unique way. This is where it gets fun. Okay. God sends Hosea to this northern kingdom, military, economic, thumbs up. Spiritually, idolatry, thumbs down. So God sends Hosea to speak a few things to this nation. He wants them, here's Hosea's task, write this down, this is super important, this is the big idea of the book of Hosea. God sends Hosea to use his words and his life, we'll come back to that, to speak against Israel's unfaithfulness and to speak for God's faithful goodness. This task is, is also what it means to preach the gospel. This task is what it means to sum up who God is, right? Isn't this the moral of the story? Humanity, perpetually unfaithful. God, faithfully good. Faithfully good. And so that's the message that God has Hosea to proclaim to this nation. You're in unfaithfulness. You've departed from God, but God is faithful and still loves you. He's still who he is. 
Even when we remain faithless, God remains faithful. That's what Paul says, okay? And so here's what's really interesting. You have in the book of Hosea kind of two main divisions. We're going to save the best for last, but we'll start with chapters 4 through 14. The last 10 book uh, chapters of Hosea is really just like a collection of Hosea's greatest hits, okay? It's his top 10. There's 10 chapters. Perfect, all right? No, there's 11. Darn it, okay? But it, nonetheless, it's just a collection of all of Hosea. Like, it's like his ministry sermon archive. It's kind of all around. It's at different times. It jumps forward. It goes backward. It's like a Christopher Nolan movie, okay? It goes all, it goes in every direction at the same time, right? Christopher, okay, all right? bunch of movie buffs, all right? So nonetheless, that is his ministry is in, in, in categorizing in that section. And that's mostly, again, the ministry of his word. What did I lose here? There it is. That's the ministry of his word, to speak with his words about Israel's unfaithfulness and God's faithfulness. That's the big idea. But what Hosea is most famously known for is not the message that God called him to proclaim with his lips, but it was the message that God wanted Hosea to communicate through his life. So, so God wanted Hosea to do more than just speak his word. God wanted Hosea to, to embody his word, which most of the time that's what we should do, right? Like most of the time that, that's obviously like a great mark of ministry as a Christian. If you're sharing something with someone but they don't see that in your life, doesn't it kind of take away from its power, right? And so it's so important to do more than just preach with our mouth we got to also make sure we're like Jesus. The word is made flesh. It's lived out. It's experienced. It's visible to the watching world. Um, but Hosea did that in a unique way. Okay? Not necessarily, necessarily going to challenge us to do what Hosea did. Hosea had a unique assignment. I want you to notice what Hosea's assignment was in verse 2. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, stop there, quick little caveat. By the way, that's usually how it should happen. Okay? For God to speak through you, he better have first spoken to you. Okay? I love that ordering. God's like, I don't speak through people unless I speak to them. So you don't just show up without reading your Bible and be like, this is God's word. It's like you do your homework, you find out what God says, and then God can speak through you. So God speaks to Hosea and in order to speak through him. And here is how his ministry started. Here's the first thing God commissioned Hosea to, to do. Go, verse 2, you got to look at this, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. For the kingdom, the land, has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So there's Hosea, he's on uh, IsraelMingle.com and... He's looking for his perfect match. He's swiping left, swiping right. And God says, put the phone down. I've got a, a bride picked out for you. And uh, her name's Gomer. About five, six. Beautiful. Um, I want you to marry her. Oh, oh, hey, before you go, she's a harlot, okay? <laughs> no, that's obviously not what happened. God gave him an emphatic command. I want you to go marry a prostitute. In that culture, in that time, it was a very common, more than you'd believe, a highly common accepted profession. It's very normal. Heartbreaking, obviously, um, for those involved, but this is what God commands him to do. 
as an illustration, he says there at the end of verse 2, of the land committing harlotry by departing from the Lord. So remember the message, uh, man's unfaithfulness, God's faithfulness. And, and so God says, Hosea, I want you to do more than just speak this. I want you to embody this in your marriage. I want you to, this is crazy, right? I want you to marry a prostitute, and I want it to be a display that harlotry and your pursuit of her to be a display of my love for you. And he does it. And notice God also says, this is the interesting part, he tells him to take uh, children of harlotry. So I want you to have children with her. And so look at verse 3 says, so he went. He's like, okay. <laughs> I love that he doesn't even argue. Like, what the heck, dude? Like, he's like, okay, God. Jonah's like, I'm not going over there. I'm going to get on a boat and go to Tarshish. God tells Hosea to do something like this. And he's like, I'll go for it. So anyway, verse 3. So Hosea, what a guy. So he went. And took Gomer, without question, but this is just a great display of obedience, right? Trusting God? Okay, God. He took Gomer, the daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. So this is his first of three kids. So, so Hosea does what God calls him. He marries the fine gal named Gomer, and they have three kids. And so his entire life is to be a sermon to Israel. Even the way uh, how he, he names his kids is so interesting. So he has, uh, what is it, a boy, a girl, and a boy. All right, so he's got the, the, the perfect trio going there. I got that going, the trifecta at the Lundy house. All right, but a boy, a girl, and a boy, and here's what he names them, okay? He names, in verse 4, the boy he names Jezreel, which means judgment is coming. Proud of you, son. You shall be called judgment is coming. It's like, okay, Dad. All right? It's like, judgment is coming. Are you here? You know? All right. Uh, his next is a girl, and her name is Lo Ruhama, which means no mercy. <laughs> I was talking to Kyle. Kyle's like, that's like a WWE wrestler name, you know? <laughs> and you shall be called no mercy, because that's what you did to your mother, you know? I don't know. Okay. All right. Um, and then lastly, you have lo ami, which is, means not my people. So it's, it's kind of peculiar. By the way, the prophets are intriguingly peculiar, and I love it, right? Just like mysterious and poetic and beautiful and interesting. And this really happens. Uh, Hosea dedicates his whole life. God calls him, dedicates his whole life uniquely. This is unique. This is not the norm. We don't make this normative, okay? Bad Bible interpretation where you're like, well, the Bible tells me to go marry a whore. Like, I'm going to do it. You know, like, that's not what Scripture says to do, okay? we, we got to make sure we read this in context. But Hosea was faithful to God's word, and, and that's where you have the whole book of Hosea. Now, uh, when you see this play out in the book of Hosea, Hosea embodying the message, what you end up with is what we're going to call each week our major message. Here's the major message. Write this down of the book of Hosea. Here is what God is speaking to us today about himself as we look into the book of Hosea. Here's what God wanted to be made known through the, through the life and the lips of the prophet Hosea. The message of Hosea is the radical nature of God's pursuing love. This is what the, the whole message is communicating. And every week we're going to focus on this as well. What is this book saying? And sometimes the message of the book won't come from the prophet's message. Like, we'll look at Jonah, and the major message of Jonah is not what Jonah has to say to Nineveh. It's what God's teaching Jonah. But when we look at the book of Hosea, if we could just sum it down to one central truth today that we can be building our lives on, it's the radical nature of God's pursuing love displayed in a man who would pursue his wife it's an illustration of how God 
pursues us. Let me ask you a quick a question. I want you to just think about this in your life. What's the farthest you've gone to pursue something? What's the farthest you've gone in pursuit of something? Maybe something very valuable to you that you lost. Maybe you're trying to win something, some kind of measurable goal. Uh, for me, it was my shih tzu when I was 20 years old. Sammy. There he is. We didn't name him Sammy. Um, my parents did. We, we called him Slappy. Because look at him, okay? Um, we're going back, babe, I don't know what, 19, 20 years old? I don't know. Uh, I was away, came home around that age, and my, my parents had got a new dog. Our other one was still around, but it was like, let's get another dog, and so why not just buy a little fuzzy hamster? And so uh, there's uh, Slappy, and uh, I remember one, uh, one time in the middle of the day, um, Slappy's gone, okay? Slappy's missing. Now, we all have, we have a dog. Any dog people? Where you at, my people? Love you guys, all right? Um, so dogs run away. Isn't that fun? Don't you love that? It's the best, okay? You're in your car, like Dog the Bounty Hunter looking for them. Um, and Sammy goes missing, and it happens, you know? Sometimes I leave the door open, you know what I'm saying? Like, Sammy's gone, you know? But... We're talking a whole day, and, she, and uh, he, he's nowhere to be found. And uh, we're looking at Day one goes by. Day two goes by. And this is before, like, social media. Like, hey, have you seen my dog? You know, it was just like, I think we were even, like, classic. Remember when you'd print out a sign and you'd staple it to, like, a pole that, like, a 12-year-old might walk by, you know? Um, and we're, he's, I mean, we're doing everything. We're, like, doing, lived in, grew up in the Loggers Run. West Boca, and so we're just doing loops around all the suburban neighborhoods, looking, and, and so I don't remember exactly, but it, it was at least two to three days. Sammy's gone. And it was exhausting, and it's sad, like, I mean, pets are part of the family, you know, so part of me, he wasn't my favorite, but like, at the same time, I was like, I, <laughs> I mean, it was still like, it's a loss, right, you know what I mean, like, an L's an L, you feel me, so, 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 so it's like day three, and everybody's just like, we just kind of throw in the towel. Like, I think my mom was already like looking for new dogs. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> but I was like, no. I stood up in that living room. Not on my watch, I said. <laughs> so after about like 20 trips, I said, let's do one more. Day three or four. I mean, I'm, I'm poor, how, what, he can't, like I'm, at this point, he's, a Muscovy duck is eating him is what I thought. Like. <laughs> So, so turns out, we're in the neighborhood across the street three days later. This is a true story, okay? Miracle dog. We're driving around the corner. There's a little field, a little patch of grass. And I see a little white thing. And my sister goes, that's not, that's a sandbag. That's what she said. I go, no, I think that's a dog. Like, and, th and next thing you know, this sandbag goes like this. And, like, a whole neighborhood came outside because we were like, Sammy! Like, we ran. And he was like, Meh. He was, like, all wet and um, just barely made it. Barely. He was fine. He was fine. But, but <laughs> a radical pursuit. I'm sure we have our own versions, our own stories, whether it's 
going, I go crazy when I lose stuff, by the way. So this is me. Like, peace is not, like, you can't have world peace until I find the thing I lost. Anybody else like that? Like, the house gets flipped upside down. Like, you know, I, you know I've been in a room and lost something, like, when you come in that room. And, and so I want you to think about that intense, extensive pursuit of something. All that to say that the book of Hosea shows us this about God. As crazy as our pursuits in life may be, there is no pursuit. Here's the message. There is no pursuit that compares to God's pursuit of man. There is no pursuit in this world that compares to God's pursuit of you. His radical, loving pursuit. And that's what Hosea helps us understand. The extent to which the extents to which God will go. It's Ephesians 3. I love this scripture that Paul prays for the church. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the extent of God's love. Ready? The width, the length, the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a prayer for our lives. This is God's priority for your life, man. For you to know in a greater way, for you to have a greater understanding of God's love displayed in how he pursues you. You see, we all have our own conclusions of where we think God's love stops. Because we tend to make God in our image. Because we have our own stopping point, don't we? To where I'm done with people. I'm over this person. I've tried time and time again to no avail. But God is not like us. Scriptures say that God is love. And Paul's prayer for us, Paul's prayer for the church, is that we would be those who know how crazy and awesome this love is. And Hosea gives us Again, that greater insight into what it is. I want to notice, us to notice a few things. as we, Let's just characterize this love. Look at a couple of these. When we look at Hosea, you see that, that the love of God is a love that pursues. Write this down regardlessly. You see this in Hosea. The book of Hosea, you get an understanding. Our understanding of God's love widens a little bit more. We thought it was like this, but it just gets greater. When we see through Hosea a love reflective of God that pursues regardlessly. Hosea, I want you to go, as an illustration for my love to the people, I want you to go marry Gomer regardless of who she is. Regardless of what you know about her. That's what God tells Hosea to do. Now, we don't have the full story about uh, Gomer's background. We have some poetry here that that we look at. Uh, But there's really three options. Maybe as God is telling Hosea to go love Gomer, he's saying love her regardless of her past. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe she was a a harlot in the past, and now she's come to to, to faith. She's turned her life around. And God is is saying in that culture, it's like your past still defined you. So it was like maybe God's saying despite what's happened to her, still love her regardlessly. Still pursue her regardlessly of what's happened. Or what about her future? Maybe it was this thing. Maybe she wasn't a, a, a harlot yet. But maybe whoredom would be this thing that she would get caught into in the future. And so God says, I want you to love her regardless of what you know she's going to do. 
That's hard to do, right? Like Jesus washing Judas' feet, right? Or, or maybe it's a combination of everything or something in the present. Maybe it's who she presently is. I want you to love her, not just regardless of what she's done. I want you to love her, not just regardless of what you know she's going to do. I want you to love her knowing who she is and what she's doing right now. Regardless. Regardless love. Whatever the possibilities may be, what a beautiful picture of God's love for us. All of these truths, past, present, and future, are proclaimed about God in his word towards us. Does God love you regardless of your past? Yep. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It speaks the hard truth that the unrighteous do not know will not inherit the kingdom of God. Neither, uh, it says this, Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor extortioners. Find yourself in the story, or whatever your preference is, your vice of choice, they will, neither of them will inherit the kingdom of God. This is the truth of our condition. But look at these powerful words when Paul says, And such were, were, were some of you. Such were defined by your sin. But, I love that but there, it's a good but, but you in Christ were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, in Christ, here's the regardless love of God. God loves you regardless of your past. You see, as a Christian, you're not defined by your past mistakes. You're you're defined by an event that happened way before it called Calvary's Cross. Way back when. So Paul looks, uh, forces them to look into the past. Well, what about your present? Or what about, let's go to our future. What about my future? Think about that truth. The idea that God loved you. God loves you. He chose you knowing the things you would do. Isn't that crazy? You're going to screw up. Did you know that? Like if you're still in this thing of trying to make things right with you and God by getting it all together, like quit while you're ahead. God loved you, God chose you, God set his affection on you, based, not, not based on anything you've done, but regardless of what he knew that you would do. You see this proclaimed in Romans 8. It says, we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He chose this. It wasn't your idea, it was his idea. He's like, they're a mess, and I'm going to choose them in my love to be conformed to the image of my son. That he might be the fir- that they might be or Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. So I love this vision for my future. Like not only does God see into the future the, the mistakes I'm going to make, and He loves me regardless of what I'm going to do, but God sees beyond what I can ever see in the future to who He's making me. He has this vision for something greater, and then certainly God loves us regardless of our present. Remember our salvation displayed in Romans 5, that God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, that's present tense, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a great picture of the love of God. It's the regardless love of God. God says to Hosea, love her regardless of her past, her present, her future. It's a lot like how God loves us. And I think it's important to say that regardless doesn't mean um, ignorance, God isn't saying to Hosea, hey, act like she's not a harlot. Just pretend like that doesn't exist. Just regardless. He's not saying uh, don't acknowledge it, but he's saying don't let it be a factor in your love. And what another great depiction of who God is. Um, 
when God loves us regardlessly, it's not that he doesn't see our shortcomings. It's not, by the way, only God really knows who we are. But what makes the love of God so amazing is that in what he knows about us, it doesn't determine whether or not he loves us. It's not the factor. It's not the thing that determines or, or affects his love. This is, um, I think, said so beautifully by the great Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting, but it's superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, he says, is, well, a lot like being loved by God. Isn't that so true? You know, this has been God's message to Israel and humanity all throughout history. Listen, I love you. Why? Because I love you. I love you because I am love. Look at Deuteronomy. I got some Bible for you. Check this out. He says, for you are a holy people. He's been saying this to Israel all along. This isn't, Hosea is not bringing like hot off the press, new message, okay? New update from heaven. We got a new word. No, this is all throughout their history. God told Israel, even back in Moses' day, the first prophet, it says, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. Look at the way he speaks about God's people. A special treasure. Do you see yourself as in that way to God? Isn't that beautiful? A special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. But notice this. The Lord did not set his love on you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were least of all the people. What a great reminder. God's love didn't come to you because you got his attention, right? He was like, oh, oh, them? Lovable. Very lovable. God says to Israel, there was nothing remarkable about you. It's not like you were the greatest nation. So I was like, okay, I need a big nation to accomplish a big heaven purpose. You you were the smallest of all the nations. There was nothing about you that, that drew my love to you. Look at this incredible statement. God says, the reason why he loves you, why? Because the Lord loves you. I don't love you because you're awesome. I love you because I love you. That's what God says to us. That's what he says to you. I love you. Why? Because I love you. Why? Because I love you. First John says that God is love. So we are perpetually unfaithful to God. He knows this. And regardless, he faithfully pursues us. Amen? God is love. We also see that God loves us through Hosea. We see a love that pursues us. I made this word up, and it spell-checked me, and I ignored it. That's how I do. All right. Squiggly double little red line thing. Okay. We also see that God's love pursues us resentlessly. If you go to verse uh, or chapter two, what you start to see happen is you see this, this relationship between Hosea and Gomer play out. And you see, again, in her perpetual unfaithfulness. It, it tells us there in, in, uh, in chapter two, verse five, it says, um, for she said, I will go after my lover. So here's, here she is departing from Hosea, betraying him, cheating on him. I will go after my lovers and because of what they're going to give me. And they're going to give me, it tells us there, bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil to drink. Verse 6 says, therefore, behold, here's Hosea now. It says, look at this poetic language. I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in so that she cannot find her path. Do you get the image there of like, Gomer coming home late at night, or, or Gomer sneaking out late at night to go back into the allurement of prostitution, and there's Hosea just trying to keep her. He's, it says he hedges the way with thorns, like he's doing anything. He's begging her not to leave. 
but she continues until there's an interesting moment that um, we see displayed here. In verse 7, it says, at the end of it, then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband. So there's this kind of aha moment. It kind of reminds us of the prodigal son, right? Where he comes to his senses and he's like, what am I doing? You ever been there in sin, by the way? Human beings? Hey, guys. We got some of those in here, right? You ever been there where you're like, Paul, I hate what I'm doing. I hate the fact that I keep wandering away from God. You ever been there? Like, I'm sick of this. And she kind of comes to her senses. And what a, di- what a beautiful display of God's heart. Just like the prodigal son. When she comes to her senses to return, chapter 2, verse 14, we, we see Hosea saying, Therefore, a picture of God, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness, and I will speak comfort to her. Verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. Hosea 2.20, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Gomer comes to her senses, and a great picture of God as she comes home. She says, I want to come home. Hosea is not there, reluctantly receiving her with resentment. He is there to lavish her afresh with his love. That's how God's love pursues us. Can I tell you, God is pursuing you not angrily. He's pursuing you resentlessly. He's pursuing you lovingly. Think of the prodigal son who, like this woman, comes to his senses after spending all that he has, coming to the end of his rope. He's in the pig pen. And he says, I got to go home now. I'm going to go to my father's house. And it says, and he arose and he came to his father. But look at this. When he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he didn't stand there with his arms folded like, yeah, it's about time. But it says he ran to him. No dignified Jew in this culture would do this kind of thing. It says, and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. You see this pursuing crazy love that doesn't love with this half heart of resentment. This is who God is. The scriptures teach us that the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in mercy. God is way quicker to forgive than you think. He just is. And he's also way slower to get mad at you than you think. Again, it's the projection thing, right? Because we all have our meter. We all have our boiling point. And let's be honest. God. My boiling point, clearly. Okay. And you see in history, God does reach his boiling point. There's times where God's angry. God does get angry, but a lot slower than you think. He's slow to anger. He's patient. He's quick to forgive. Um, He's not like us, and that's the the message. And so here's what James says to you and I. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. He says, cleanse your hands. As you repent of your sin and you come to God, you're not going to be met with reluctance, resentment. You're going to be met by a father who missed you and has been much more patient to wait for you than you realize. This is amazing, God's love. Let's wrap these up here. We also see, as we close here, uh, chapter 3, we see that it's a love, God's love, it pursues us relentlessly. It's a relentless love. It, it's, it's certainly regardless. God loves us regardless of, of what he knows about us. That's great news. 
because of what we probably know about ourselves. God loves us resentlessly. He doesn't harbor bitterness towards us. He loves us. He's slow to anger, quick to forgive. Uh, but we see God loves us relentlessly. Look what happens. She comes home to her husband. She's like, okay, I'm done. I'm hanging up the whole prostitution thing. I'm done with this. I'm home. I'm here. It's me. It's, I just picture it. I'm, it's going to be us and the kids. It's going to be right again. I'm going to make things right. She makes her commitments. She, she wants to be a person who's disciplined enough to do what she's going to say, but the sin nature takes over again. In chapter 3, verse 1, the Lord said to me, notice this, chapter 3, verse 1, look at your Bibles, go again, go again, it's a key phrase, go again now, and love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel. It says, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. <laughs> That's a dessert dish right there, baby, all right? God's slamming Israel. They're, they're always wandering away from me time and time and time again. And here we have Hosea. She's come home. She said sorry. She's repented. There's been tears. But now she's gone again. Can you relate to that? You ever, you ever said to yourself, like, again? I said I would never do that again. I said I would never speak that way again. I said, I will never get bitter like that ever again. And yet, again, it happens again. But the good news, the good news in light of our perpetual rebellion is the even greater faithfulness of God's pursuit. So God says to Hosea, I want you to be relentless in this love. Go, he says, love her again, again, and again. That's the idea there. We tend to have that mark, right, with God where we're like, okay, God, I, you know, I get it now. You don't have to love me. <laughs> like, I mean, maybe the past five years, right? But I've been a Christian now for 15 years, and I should have my act together. And so I understand. I, I just, and we can kind of live with this dark cloud of spiritual warfare rather than the peace that comes from knowing who we are in Christ. Rather, rather than from the joy that comes from knowing that we have a God that will always outlove our sin. He will always, listen, he will always love you in a greater way than you are sinful. And we know this is proclaimed all throughout scripture. Probably my favorite, it's Romans chapter 5. Look at Romans chapter 5. Moreover, it says, the law entered that the offense might abound. That's us. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. This is us in Christ through the work of his cross. So that sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the good news of the gospel. Okay, If you are in Christ, despite your struggle with sin, your sin doesn't reign over you. Jesus and his grace and his love has won. His grace reigns. Too many Christians walking around like Jesus didn't defeat the grave, man. Like Jesus didn't earn his place to reign as king of our sinful lives. He reigns in grace. His grace reigns with higher authority than the reign of sin in this world. The idea here is that sin is no match for the grace and the love of God. So time and time again we sin. Time and time again God forgives because where sin abounds, grace abounds. Man, as we close, I want to invite the, the band to come out. And uh, if we could maybe just cut the house lights and uh, 
try to center this in now on something that we're going to leave with. I want to close with this final thought that's going to take us to the communion table. And we see this in, ultimately, I think through the whole story, but we see in the life of Hosea, we see a love that pursues recklessly. Recklessly. Um, It tells us there in verse, notice verse 2. So I bought her for myself. Look at this. I bought her, this is huge, for myself, 15 shekels of silver and one and one half homers of barley. And I said to her, you shall stay with me. You shall not play the harlot. So that's the last point in the narrative of Hosea and Gomer's relationship. You know what ends up happening? God doesn't just say, hey, Hosea, I want you to keep loving her and loving her and loving her. But what we find about Gomer and this relationship with this prophet is that she finds herself imprisoned legally. She in some way has sold herself to become the legal property of some man, some group. And you imagine at this point, as Hosea is counting the cost of what it means to actually redeem her, to buy her back, right? You imagine that Hosea's friends are like, Hosea, give it up, dude, right? Like if Hosea was your bud, what would you be telling him? You would look on at his pursuit of her as being seemingly reckless. Now, I put the word seemingly there. I know there's a lot of controversy about the song Reckless Love, and God's not reckless. If Hosea shows us anything about God's love, it's that from a human perspective, it's crazy that you would continue to love someone so unworthy, that you would continue to pay what it costs to be in relationship with them. I mean, imagine, other than financial what this cost Hosea. Imagine his reputation. What this cost him to pursue a marriage with her. What this cost him to continue to love her. I'm sure it cost him a lot. It cost him sleep, cost him time, cost him money, but the greatest picture of God in this is the price that he was willing to pay to have her forever. The financial cost to redeem and buy her back. It's scripture itself that speaks about Jesus, our great redeemer, who for those of us who found ourselves caught in the thick of sin time and time again, and let's be reminded, without God, we have become the the legal property of the enemy. Our lives before Jesus, they're not not our own. We're we're bound by sin, the, the worst master of all. We're stuck in this condition of sin headed towards death, perpetual sin and death. This is the cycle of the world. God's been decentered. We've recentered ourselves there and just the chaos that ensues. And we're stuck there in that vicious cycle until you have a God of reckless love that pays it all, that pays the ultimate price. And First Peter tells us that we were redeemed. Just as Gomer was redeemed by Hosea, we have been absolutely, eternally redeemed by Jesus. Not with any sort of precious metal, not silver or gold, but with his own blood. It's Ephesians 1.7 that says it's in Jesus that we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It's redemptive. It's the love of God. That's the message that God wants for our hearts this morning. That we would be those that see ourselves not based on what we've done, what we are doing, what we will do, but we see ourselves as those whom God loves despite our unfaithfulness. He loves us with a pursuant love. He's pursuing you today. And what better display to make that known to us by going to the cross, on that cross, becoming sin for us to pay for our redemption, shedding his blood to cleanse us of our sin. And Jesus gave us this great opportunity together where we get to come to what's called the Lord's table, the communion table. And we get to remember that as we partake together. Now, typically, that's done in a different way as we are taking from the same bread. I prefer that, the breaking of the bread and the distribution. But for now, we've got some sort of a safe option. If you reach under your seat in front of you, you'll see your communion elements. It looks like a dunkaroo, but I promise it's not. This here, for us, it's not about the material. It's about what it represents, right? And what you're going to do is you're going to peel the lid off that and you'll find your wafer there. And then you'll peel it off and you'll find your juice there. And this is an opportunity now for us to listen, not just sit here and know about God's love in Christ, but we partake in it. Do you get it? We consume what he's done. And the idea is so that we're not just doing a religious tradition. In fact, Scripture forbids us from taking this meal religiously and heartlessly. It warns us against what could happen if we don't do this sincerely. So if, that, if maybe you're not ready, you're not there, it's okay. This is not an obligatory thing you have to partake in. It's okay. Use this moment to pray. But if you're able to, use this time to zero your heart in on two fundamental truths. Your tendency to stray. Focus on that. Take a moment to do that. Confess what sin you need to confess to God. Liken yourself to Gomer in your relationship with God. Be real about it. And repent. Confess, God, forgive me of my sin. And then as you have those elements, you download to your soul through your consumption of those elements the fact that you are who you are in Christ. And his love is what defines you, not anything else. And so let's go to the communion table together. During this time, this instrumental and song is for you to be alone with the Lord, to partake of these elements. Do it at, at your own time, and I'll come back and send this. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.